thank you for tuning into this episode of the How We Interview podcast. I had the pleasure of speaking with Emily Bradley. Emily is an expat um, living in Germany. She works for a company called Speak. She leads employer brand there. And uh, we had an awesome conversation. We covered a lot of the ground, talked about living in Europe, uh, what it means to work for a global organization, some of the things that Emily is working on going into 2024. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, this is Aaron Kraljev. Thank you for turning into this episode of the How We Interview podcast. Today, I'm with Emily Bradley. Emily was introduced to me from a mutual friend, and I'm super excited to talk to you. For those people that don't know you, Emily, can you introduce yourself and talk about your background a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on, Aaron. Super excited to be here. Um, yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, my name is Emily. Um, I am originally from the U.S., from Asheville, North Carolina, but for the last five years, I've actually been living in Germany, in, in Bavaria, so in the south, um, and it's been quite a roller coaster. But I guess it makes sense to kind of back up and, and take you from the top. Um, so basically, after graduating uh, with a bachelor's in communication advertising from Appalachian State University, um, I kind of landed my first uh, adult job in the marketing world. Um, I was working for a uh, kind of a website design and an SEO marketing agency. And I really loved that kind of introduction into marketing. I got to handle so many different things on the client side, on the back end, um, it was super cool. But I actually realized uh, at some point after, I don't know, a year and a half of working there that I was ready for a super big change. Uh, and that is plot twist, moving to Germany. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned, I've been here for, for five years. Um, I always had wanted to kind of study abroad, um, but I never felt like I had the chance to. Um, that kind of came from, from university, so I'll kind of take it a little bit back. Um, I was involved in an organization on campus, which uh, helped welcome the international students to the school. So we were kind of like their first friends, you know, kind of ambassadors for the school. Um, and this was the first time I, I saw so many different cultures and languages, and I just absolutely loved it. Um, so that really propelled my decision even more um, after graduating from university to actually just like dip my toes into the water, test it out and see how I liked it. Um, and yeah, kind of flash forwarding a little bit. I landed in Germany with a six month um, PR internship, um, which turned into a four, four year full time gig. Um, was with a fitness tech company in Munich. Um, and over my my four years there, I was leading like international public relations. So, you know, networking with journalists, organizing events, um, of course, getting the, the top tier coverage, like, you know, the Vogue's, the Forbes of the world um, was kind of what I was in. And then um, when I was at this company, I realized that I had a huge passion for employer branding. So, like a lot of practitioners, it's something that I just kind of fell into um, and it kind of became my creative side hustle at the company, if you will. Um, so creating different campaigns to showcase the employee stories, um, helping improve candidate experience, um, you name it, I was there. Um, yeah, and uh, this was something that I decided that I wanted to pursue full time. Um, and now I'm officially in the uh, employer branding space, working with a company called Speaks. Um, so we're a people development platform, um, working on 
uh, empowering people with on-the-job skills for language training, business coaching, um, and we have some cool things in the books coming as well. So super exciting. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to be in the space. I mean, and we're excited to have you. I, it, it's so funny. And we, you know, a lot of these conversations, we we cover this ground. Like nobody just, no two journeys are the same. Um, yours is awesome. Like, I think that that's fascinating. What What's it like, I guess, a two-part question. Like, A, what's it like being an American living in Germany? Um, <laughs> you know, Americans travel to Europe all the time. I'm saying a fairly high percentage. Like, you know, try to imagine what a life in Europe is like. And then what's it like working for a global organization as an as an American living in, in, in Europe? Yeah, okay, there's lots to talk about there. So um, I would say the best way to describe uh, like being an expat, being a foreigner in Germany um, is, is kind of the feeling that you're a little bit special, um, but also you don't quite fit in. So, I mean, it's like, you know, you're part of the culture because you've immersed, you've learned the language, but you're still kind of like an outsider. But then on the other hand, when you go home, you've, you know, adapted so much to your your new environment that you uh, are like too German to be American, if that makes any sense, like you don't quite fit in there either. So it's a weird feeling. Um, I'm still kind of unpacking it, I guess, but special and also awkward in the best of ways, I would say. Um, yeah. And then working for a global organization is, is amazing. Um, so I've actually, uh, here in Germany, always been in these, uh, these big international organizations with, you know, multinationalities and languages and kind of a melting pot of culture. So, um, yeah, I would say there's a ton of like work culture differences, culture shocks that I've had, um, along the way, but I think all in all, it's, it's just a learning experience and, um, it helps you learn about the world and grow and step out of your comfort zone and do, do new things, take on new projects. So I can only recommend it. I would say. Yeah, that's awesome. You were, you were drinking espresso before we hit record and, and we're just talking about some of the quirks between European culture and American culture. And, and I, you know, I think Americans in general are always just kind of fascinated. Well, I won't say all Americans, many Americans are so fascinated by anything outside of our culture. New, it's different, it's interesting. And you don't, you know, just just kind of our ability to, I don't know, just like this high level of curiosity about cultures outside of our, at least, at least for me. All right. So Aaron, not Americans. Um, given your role, because you're, you're, your background is so interesting, right? You worked in PR, you've worked in communications, you've worked in marketing. Um, can you talk a little bit about being like the bridge between all those different things and recruiting in your organization and a because of your background why that works and then b maybe what some challenges may be that you kind of pop up on a day in day out basis yeah absolutely so i would say that uh to be like generally successful in employer branding you have to take this really holistic approach um to how you communicate so um, I mean, for me, it's really all about having and offering a consistent brand experience to all of your different stakeholders and your different audiences, um, telling the same story. So, I mean, for recruiting, for example, you need to be telling the candidates uh, the same story. Um, they need to be hearing your company values and seeing if they could fit into your company, um, offering everyone that same experience. And likewise, uh, for 
other departments, for example, like the sales department, uh, winning over new prospects. Uh, these messages all need to match up to, you know, at the end, um, offer that really consistent and, and holistic view of your company. Um, and I think what's really key here is the whole authenticity piece, um, because, you know, if you're telling, you know, one one person something and then the other something else, it's going to get out on the outside. So it needs to match internally first and then go externally, I would say. Um, I think the challenge there lies in kind of bringing the right stakeholders in the company together and making sure that you're all aligned. So um, yeah, employer branding is definitely the glue there. Um, it's it's really just key to build those relationships. You know, have the coffee chats um, in in the organizations I've worked for here in Europe. The the coffee one to ones are super important when you get matched up with a random person in the organization. Um, it's a great way to hear like the challenges that they're, they're working on, or maybe the potential stories that you could actually tell um, to kind of have the pulse on the people. So at the end of the day, it's all about the people. If that answers your question. Yeah, it absolutely does. I, um, you're talking about employer brand, and and I, I've been in rooms where like we're, we're you know talking about what our employer brand is going to be, what's our value proposition, and 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 sitting there going, that's that's not us at all. Like it's either a wildly off or b what you're saying may not be accurate. And I think the worst thing you can do as a company is put out a value proposition that that's a lie, and people will absolutely find out. Have you gotten into situations like that in the past where not necessarily a lie, but the EVP wasn't, maybe people internally felt that, or maybe at that point in time felt that, but for the long haul, for somebody coming in new, maybe it's not as accurate. That is a really good point. So with my current organization, um, I'm actually the, the first person that's kind of stepped into the employer branding shoes. So I had a really unique opportunity to actually build the EVP from the ground up. Um, and of course, the authenticity part was was totally my focus. Um, and also, I'm very aware that as the company grows and evolves, the EVP and the messaging have to evolve. And, um, you know, the marketing messaging, the sales messaging, all of this needs to kind of go along with it. Um, so, yeah, I would say I haven't quite been in, in a situation like that yet. But, um, yeah, like you said, people can sniff out authenticity, inauthenticity from miles away. Yeah, hundred percent. And and I think what sounds like a good idea in the boardroom or on a Zoom call, in in theory, in practice, can be something completely different. I I kind of zoom past speaking of Zoom. I kind of zoom past this this discussion point earlier when we were talking about working for a global organization. But in a previous role, we we had HQ in Germany, and it, in in my mind, I was opened up to a whole different environment for hiring, advertising privacy for uh, employee care. Can you talk about some of the nuances? Because I think if you work for like an American company and you have no global presence, specifically in Europe, specifically in Germany, or maybe even in Scandinavia somewhat, um, it's quite different. Yeah, absolutely. That was like probably the biggest culture shock for me. I mean, coming from the US where I think I got 14 days vacation and this was considered quite good, um, you know, kind of leveling that up to 30 days 
paid vacation for the whole year. Absolutely a game changer. I mean, you can do so much more. I'm really into traveling. Of course, I live in Europe. I can hop over to Austria in like an hour. Very different vibe. Um, but yeah, you can do more personally as well. So if you need to take a day off just to like have a, a mental health day or something, you have the space to do that. Um, similarly with like sick time, that's a really big, big difference in the US versus here in Germany. And I would say also in Europe, um, like when you're sick, you are sick and you should stay home and, and stay in bed and rest. Um, like I've actually gotten uh, kind of scolded by my my bosses if I've showed up at the office coughing or, you know, visibly sick. Um, they say, hey, what are you doing here? You need to go back home. Like you're going to get the rest of the office sick. Um, of course, this has all changed like with COVID, I think people's mindsets around this are a little bit different, but um, yeah, like if, if I'm sick, I can take uh, like three days to recover um, and I don't need a doctor's note. And then after that, I, I will. Um, but I think this is just totally generous and also how it should be. Um, you know, we shouldn't be working ourselves uh, to death, to, so to say. Um, so the work-life balance is really, really amazing here, I would say. Um, yeah. And also in a lot of countries, uh, the kind of maximum, uh, working hours is also quite different. So in France, I think it's around 35 hours a week. Um, so again, work-life balance, taking time for yourself, taking time for your family, it's totally prioritized and it's just a different mindset, um, and a different society, I guess. Yeah. You don't, you, you don't work to live, right? You, you, or, or live with work. It's really, you know, maintaining yeah. that balance. And I do think too, just embracing how, how different or how much more effective employees can be if they're not completely maxed on time or sleep or taking care of themselves. Um, leaves are different in Europe, right? Um, mat leave is different. When you give notice, you you actually, you know, it's more contractual. You just can't really bounce on somebody. And 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 it's just, it's so fascinating. Like if I was going to create employment laws or privacy laws from scratch, I'd do it much like, and this is once again, my, my focus group of one, although it's my damn podcast, so I guess I can say what I want, but it, it, I would do it much like it's been done there because so much more care has been taken. Um, has there ever created a challenge for you where like you all want to do something, the employer brand side, and you're like, oh, privacy laws aren't going to allow us to do that, or you know, we're not going to be able to do the targeting we want to do because that's you know going to trigger some, some sort of non-compliant situation? Um, no, I haven't really been in that situation yet either. Um, but I mean, of course, like GDPR or the, for people who don't know what this is, it's a big, uh, European union, like data protection legislation. So it just says that, uh, companies need to be able to, you know, justify how, uh, their, their people's, uh, their customers' data is used, um, definitely changed things over here in Europe quite a lot, but, um, yeah, like our recruiters, they need to, uh, be really, really careful about how they handle this data. I mean, they're seeing hundreds of resumes and applications every single day. Um, so it's again, like a mindset of, you know, this is personal, this is sensitive, this doesn't get out. Um, and also, you know, our, uh, in our, um, like applicant tracking system, we have kind of a box that people have to select, you know, when they apply to our company that agrees to the, the data that they're submitting. And, um, also we have different kind of, 
um, rules for how long we can can keep the data. Um, I believe it's no longer than six months unless we get that permission again, the consent. Um, so I would say for the recruiters at the moment, it's kind of more of a an issue in the in the front front seat, I'd say. Um, but I mean, like I'm also seeing like sensitive employee data sometimes too. Um, so I'm in the you know HR management system, so. It's just something that um, I guess I've gotten used to just knowing like, yep, that's sensitive. Let's keep it locked. Yeah. And, and what's fascinating now that I sit here and listen to you talk and I think about like one, once you get used to kind of evolving your strategy to be conscious of GDPR, even if you don't do business in Germany or do business in Europe, that never leaves you. Like I'm thinking now the way I built campaigns or the way I built processes they're all GDPR compliant and they don't have to be, but that that is, and I, A, I think it's a good business, sure, but it just goes to show how some of those things become hardwired and you just never, you never get away from it. Yeah, that's so true. I think, yeah, once you've lived in a, a place like this for a while, it just comes second nature. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. That's fascinating. So we're, yeah. we're in the new year a little bit. What What kind of things are you working on? Yeah, absolutely. So for 2024, I have many, many goals. Um, I would say the biggest one is um, around attracting new talent, of course. Um, so a huge project that we're kicking off this year is relaunching our careers website. Um, so yes, we we current need, currently need a lot of love uh, to our our current one. Um, so many, many things to update there. Uh, generally, just giving a better picture of what it's like to work at Speaks, um, showing the company culture. Um, for example, we just had a company event in Mallorca uh, nice. where we brought together all of the employees from across the world. It was amazing. Um, and we created uh, a huge video asset that we're going to put on the careers website um, showing more on, on the co company culture side, basically. Um, so that would be kind of the first big project. Um, and then the second one is also around employee advocacy. Um, so this is something that is taking the front seat for sure. Um, you know, people are uh, very much believing people and not brands at the end of the day. So empowering your, your people to kind of tell their own story, tell their own day-to-day -day what it's like to work at the company is just best case scenario. So I'll be doing a lot of uh, social media trainings, LinkedIn trainings um, to sort of help to, um, yeah, to propel this, get our people feeling confident online because that's not always easy um, and also inspired to to tell their own story of about what it's like to work um, for the company. So those are two things I would say. Trip to my work, it sounds amazing. This episode of How We Interview is brought to you by Riembi. You understand the importance of maximizing your team's efficiency. Instead of having your recruiters or coordinators spend time with expense reports to reimburse candidates for interview expenses, automate the process with Riembi. Riembi streamlines the reimbursement process, ensuring your candidates receive their reimbursement quickly and accurately. Your team can focus on other essential aspects of the hiring process by eliminating reimbursement tasks from their workload. Automating reimbursements is a significant improvement to the candidate experience. No more dealing with spreadsheets, attaching receipts to emails, or waiting weeks to receive the payout. With Reambi, the reimbursement payout to your candidates is sent the same day expenses are approved. To learn more about how Reambi can help your team, visit Reambi.com. That's Reambi, R-E-I-M-B-I.com. 
think given given your background, do you find it challenging to and we can we can talk a little bit more about like maintaining your own personal brand or your own professional brand, but some people are very private, don't have an interest in that. Have you ever run into situations where like, look, we've got this great company content, uh, would love it if you would share or you know, it'd be cool if you just if you boost your own personal brand, the overall company brand is going to benefit from that. Yeah, definitely. Um, to be honest, I think it's becoming more and more um, attractive to kind of own your personal brand and um, to put content out there. I mean, it only benefits uh, yourself at the end of the day. It's your it's your profile. You should do what you want with it. Um, but of course, it benefits the company um, in the long run. So um, I would say for me, it's all about education, um, which is where, you know, my um, my LinkedIn trainings are going to come in handy for people who maybe have like never been on the platform or have no idea how to post or schedule content or interact with people uh, online. So, I mean, I think it's all just education, highlighting why it's important, giving them the actual practical tools and know how and then inspiring them along the way and being there um, when they need help. So there's a lot of different strategies, um, I would say. So for me, what's worked well so far has been this more of like kind of copy paste um, kind of strategy. So where I give um, our employees content, um, you know, graphics or different photos to use and then some sample captions. So usually do a couple of different versions. Um, and then people can yeah, literally copy and paste them for their profile. Um, what I've seen actually with uh, this Mallorca event that we did, um, this was a huge opportunity for our employees to talk about the event on social media. Um, I did my typical strategy of, of giving people the content and just saying, hey, go ahead and post it. Um, most people posted the graphics, but they put their own spin on the caption, which is absolutely amazing. Um, so that was a big turning point for me, um, especially with, uh, yeah, educating people on why it's important, getting them excited and feeling like they can own and make a difference on online. Yeah. And it gets back to the brand thing, right? You know, the, the content's got to be authentic. It's got to be accurate. Um, and there's any expectations like you, 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 not every company is perfect and, and, and you don't need to like necessarily post all the bad stuff, but, you know, posting the good stuff in a way that that is is accurate and, and highlights kind of some of the values of the organization, but not so overly, I don't know, but over the top that people think like, oh, well, these guys obviously just go to Mallorca every other week and that's what work in their life. Yeah, no, no. I mean, um, like what you said there about like kind of um, conveying the values of the organization with, you know, each person's own spin or their own lens on it is is huge. Um, so, I mean, for my company, uh, one of our, our values and one of our pillars of our EVP is flexibility. Um, so, I mean, we're a global organization, but the majority of our employees, I would say, actually work remotely um, so that we have office spaces, but um, not everyone is choosing to go in. And that's completely fine. Um, also from a management perspective. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, we we don't have even before Corona people saying, hey, you need to come in or you're going to be fired. It's it's very much like a, you know, choose your own adventure kind of kind of working environment. So if you need to, you know, start earlier and finish earlier or, you know, work more in the evening, you know, if you're a night owl, whatever works for your schedule. Um, also working from abroad. So I'm from the U.S., like I mentioned, and um, getting to to work from from the U.S. sometimes really helps me kind of max maximize that PTO and have that better work-life balance. So I also think for, for this year, um, the flexibility, um, not only for my company, but for other companies as well, um, should take the front seat. Um, of course, we're seeing still companies pushing back. Uh, I guess you've probably seen the headline from IBM on you know, employees need to, to come into the office or, um, or move closer or they're going to be fired, which is just absolutely the wrong narrative for like a really healthy non-toxic company culture yeah i i posted something on linkedin regarding kind of rto gone bad um there's ways to do it and i know companies have obligations that they need to fulfill and no company wants to have hundreds of thousands of square feet of empty office space. I, I completely get that. And there's probably a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. I think the, the the example you gave definitely is in the wrong camp. But, you know, showing flexibility as a company value and doing it in a way that's not um, targeting anybody else, but really saying, look, this is on our bones. This is important to us. That's so appealing to candidates that, that want that. I, I know, you know, RTO being what it is. And I know COVID kind of accelerated the timeline for, for people really moving to a remote working lifestyle. I think that was probably always going to be the case. If not remote, definitely like an employee-driven hybrid environment that probably accelerated that by a decade, maybe even 15 years, right? So here we are and, and organizations weren't really able to fully prepare um, I worked for a company at the time that was very strictly in office, just not at all prepared to be able to deal with this. And so now your organization being not early to the game, but not playing the game of going back and forth, like your hybrid, your remote, no, everybody back in the office. I think those companies that really leave it to the employee's choice, because I don't think it's a one size fits all to your point. I think if the employee can choose that, that's like that's where the magic happens right there. And so good for you and your organization for getting out ahead of that. I think that's going to give you a leg up um, in hiring going forward. Yeah. And I mean, it also gives us a leg up in hiring more diverse talent. So, I mean, if you can be more flexible in where you work, you're going to attract, of course, a more diverse, inclusive uh, talent pool um, and also global talent as well. So if you can choose, you know, where you want to work, doesn't matter if you're in Belgium or Italy or maybe even the U.S. Like we have some some employees there as well who are more on the um, the freelance side to keep it, you know, legal and things. But um, we are very much not a, a one size fits all company, and I think that's hopefully the future. Let's see. We've had some progress, but then, yeah, backwards and forwards as well as we're seeing in the news. But yeah, so I think that's also going to be a huge focus for us again, just putting that narrative out there. Um, yeah, and also for for Gen Z for younger talent as well. That's something that is very, very important to them. So yeah, I'm going to keep telling that narrative and uh, each employee um, will hopefully put their own own spin on it because it'll be unique for every person. Yeah, it's such a great point. And we weren't going to go here, but I'm just going to go. I mean, here we are. Um, if you're an organization, you've got a HQ 
in a city with people you're asking to come in five days a week and serve everybody's within like a 15 mile radius. And you sit there and go, we have a diversity problem. Like, I'm not sure what to tell you um, because you're right. You, you know, that's a very kind of similar group of folks. I mean, granted, you will have the subtle differences you have, but if they all come from one place and they're all on site and, and they only interact with each other. You're really doing yourself a disservice by, you know, getting insights into other ways of living, other cultures, other ethnicities, other environments, other geographies. And and I, I do think it stifles an organization. You get kind of very, you know, focused and you get tunnel vision on one thing. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, because we are so international and diverse, I think that's honestly like our superpower um, because we're able to A, connect with different audiences better, um, different cultures. That's very, very helpful. And also um, B, like having a diversity of thought. So as we're approaching different problems, um, you know, maybe my colleague who's from from China has a completely different perspective on the situation that I might not have considered. And in that way, if we're working together, uh, combining those thoughts, it's only going to make our organization stronger, as cliche as that sounds. 100%. I can't remember times I've been on the phone and somebody, um, my partner in Singapore has been like, have you ever thought of doing it like this? Because I worked for this multinational company that did a ton of business in Africa. And then like, I'm like, God, no, I'd never thought of that. And that's such an amazing way to do it. And I, I do, I think, obviously, I mean, you read it everywhere. It's true. It, it's like, it's not one of those things that people say it isn't true. The more diverse organizations in the end will win because they'll have more diverse ways of thought, more diverse ways of thinking and feeling. And so I agree 100%. Uh, Emily, this has been lovely. I, I know I'm the thing standing between you and your weekend. And so I thank you so much for your time. If somebody's listening to this and they're like, God, I love Emily's background. This is unbelievable. What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, definitely. So best way to connect is going to be on LinkedIn. Um, would love to to chat with anyone about employer branding or personal branding. Um, I'm very much an open book. So um, yeah, just send me a connect uh, inv- invitation and let's get chatting. Awesome. This this has been awesome. I you know I want to reserve the right to have this uh, conversation again. I feel like we could probably talk for like another hour, but um, I want to be uh, conscious of your time. So thank you so much for joining, and everyone, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Perfect. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How We Interview podcast, brought to you by Riambi. Head to our website at howweinterview.com to find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Leaving us a rating and review also helps us reach more listeners interested in learning from other talent acquisition professionals.